All right, take your Bibles and turn to Numbers, chapter number 13. Numbers, chapter number 13. While you are turning there, I'm so excited to be with you all today. I'm looking forward to a great time of worshiping Christ together. As uh, I consider my time at West Coast Baptist College, I remember back in 2010, yes, I am an old dude, okay? Uh, I remember getting to that final part of my freshman semester, and of course, you go throughout the whole freshman year, and uh, that first semester is kind of like a bag of bricks to the head, and uh, you start to figure out some things about yourself, about adulthood, and about how stupid you are. And so, uh, as you get to kind of the uh, final portion, of course, you're looking forward to going home, you know, you, you're looking forward to Christmas time, you're looking forward to seeing friends and family, and then, of course, again, like a brick to the forehead, here comes finals and projects due and all those things, and uh, you know, it's interesting, as I thought about that this morning, I prayed for you all. And I hope that you guys are handling this time of the year well. And I hope that you'll stop by and say hello after chapel. The last time I preached in chapel, uh, we were outside uh, during COVID. And we had that little stage out there. And I don't know if anyone was here to remember that. But we had that little stage outside. And uh, Dr. Getch said, now, Nick, you can't step off the stage. You have to stay on the stage. And the stage was pretty small. And so I was so nervous about preaching chapel and stepping off that stage that I finished, I think, in like 18 minutes and 37 seconds, okay? I can't guarantee that you'll have that luck today, okay? But I'm going to do my best to finish fast. Numbers chapter number 13. Numbers chapter number 13. Let's take a look at verse number 1 of Numbers chapter number 13 today. Again, I'm very excited to be with you. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. Let's take a look at verse number 26 together. The Bible says, And they went out and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and brought back the word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites by the sea in the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants of the sons of Anak, 
which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Lord God, just thank you so much for everything that you've given to us. For the plan, the purpose, and the power to accomplish your plan and purpose that you've given as resources. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be with this wonderful group of students this morning. Lord, as we approach, Lord, the days ahead and the plan that you have for us, help us not to fall short of accomplishing that plan because we just have the wrong perspective. God asks that you give us uh, vision through what you want us to do and see in this life. And God, I ask that you'd help us to accomplish that. God, give us a great time in chapel. In your name, pray. Amen. If you don't know me, one of the things that I love is sports. I'm a big sports fanatic. Uh, I am from New Jersey, and so I grew up about 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia. And so my favorite sports team is the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm a pretty big fanatic of that team. And, uh, uh, you know, as I think about the Eagles, I'm, I'm realistically just a fanatic about football. And uh, as I've watched football throughout the years, there have been some great teams that I've been able to watch. And, and even though they might not be the Eagles or uh, a particular team that the Eagles represented, of course, uh, I am still a fan of the game. And one of the teams that I think of so often is the 2014 Seahawks. Oftentimes their defense was uh, renowned and known as the Legion of Boom. And uh, some of you might be a little bit too young to remember that particular team, but that team was stacked. It was a stacked roster. When we think of that team, I remember Russell Wilson was playing in his prime. Marshawn Lynch was, of course, nicknamed Beast Mode. He was the uh, number one, of course, uh, touchdown rusher that year, tied with another uh, running back from the Dallas Cowboys. He was fourth in the league when it came to rushing yards. And really, he lived up to the name Beast Mode, okay? You gave that guy the ball, and you were guaranteed at least several yards uh, at the line of scrimmage. It's interesting. As I think about that team, they went 12 and 4 throughout the regular season. The year before, they had won the Super Bowl, and it looked like they were going to be a dynasty for the next five to ten years. It looked like they just had that build that they were going to accomplish some great things. And as they went through that, that season, it wasn't like they were playing slumps. They, they were playing a bunch of good teams. In fact, to get to the Super Bowl that year, Super Bowl 49, they played against a team that was led by uh, MVP form Cam Newton and the Panthers. And uh, they beat them, then went on to play against prime Aaron Rodgers and beat them in a thrilling game. And I remember watching that team, and of course, I think my team that year was pretty much trash, so, you know, I just kind of let that go. So I was watching that team, and, you know, kind of silently uh, carrying on uh, a passion for seeing that defense play, because I love football, I love defensive football. And uh, as I watched them play, it was amazing to see all that they accomplished, and as they came into that Super Bowl, they uh, met up against the Tom Brady-led New England Patriots in Super Bowl 49, and it was a stellar of a Super Bowl. I mean, I was there watching from my house, and we had some friends over, and it was, I think, February 2nd, 2015 that the Super Bowl took place, and man, it was kind of one of those back-and-forth games. 
And he got all the way to the fourth quarter and the Patriots drove down the field and they ended up scoring a touchdown and there was just a little over two minutes left. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was two minutes and two seconds left on the clock. And uh, the Seahawks were going to get the ball back and I was thinking, I don't know, this is a really good Patriots team. This is a really solid Patriots team. And at the time, I believe the, the game was 28-24. Uh, to 24. And so as the uh, Seahawks got that ball back, uh, they started driving down the field. And the first uh, big play that they had was to none other than Marshawn Lynch. And uh, he got that ball and uh, received the ball for 33 yards and set them up uh, right at the midfield line. The next play was to Lockett. And uh, Lockett had a reception for 11 yards. And the next play was incredible, incredible play. Uh, I think it was Jermaine Curse who caught this bobbling catch all the way down to the five-yard line. It was incredible. Those who watched it, I don't even know how he got that ball. He went out of bounds. There was about a minute left. They're on the five-yard line. The score is 28-24. to 24. The Seahawks still had two timeouts left. New England, if they scored, it was pretty much over at that point. Literally, the Seahawks were looking into having a firm victory over a really good Patriots team. They're on the five-yard line. They hand the ball off to their superstar, Marshawn Lynch. He gets four yards. He gets all the way down to the one-yard line. I believe they called a timeout right there at 26 seconds. All they had to do was punch the ball in. I don't know if anyone's sitting in the back with that slide. If you could put that slide or the picture that we have up. This is literally the picture of the Seahawks sitting at that one-yard line. There's Marshawn Lynch sitting in the backfield. And the guy that had carried that team had a quarter of the team's touchdowns. I want you to think about that. 25% of the team's touchdowns. Surely you think they're going to give him the ball. It's second down. They still have a timeout left. They're going to give him the ball. They're going to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. And the game's over. Seahawks, they're going to win it. They're going to win it all. There's no way that even the great Tom Brady is going to lead his team 20 seconds all the way down the field for a touchdown. There's no way. The very next play was something that, to this day, from my football mind, haunts me. It haunts me. Pete Carroll, with an unbelievable, astounding decision, decides on the one-yard line to drop back and have Russell Wilson throw a slant pass. And if you know anything about that game, it didn't turn out so well for the Seahawks. The very next play, right here, slant, pass, interception. Interception at the one-yard line. It haunts me because the Seahawks, to this day, haven't even made it back to the Super Bowl. Half of the players that were on that team never would go back to the Super Bowl again. Some of them would retire and not even have a Super Bowl win. It's interesting to me, they were so close. They were right there. They were on the goal line, and instead of trusting the person that had literally led them all the way to the Super Bowl with a quarter of their touchdowns, they trusted in their own intellect, and they threw an interception. My friends, today we look at a story that's interesting at Scripture. We come to a place where the children of Israel are on the one-yard line. They're literally sitting on the precipice of this land that God had promised them. 
uh, they're sitting right there on the border and they send the spies in. And of course, we know the story. Uh, there were 12 spies that went into Canaan land. Ten were. Two were. We know the story. We understand it. But when we really consider the effects of this, there are some really great inspiring stories in Scripture. We've got David and Goliath, which is an inspiration. The Apostle Paul, who uh, preached through many afflictions and infirmities, and he's an inspiration. But i got to tell you, this might be a negative inspiration for us. They were so close, and yet so far. My friends, God's got a powerful plan for your life. And I'm looking out on this audience and I'm thinking you guys are right on the precipice of doing something great for God. You might be sitting here today and God has led you to this point in the semester and you're on the precipice of maybe getting victory over that sin. Uh, maybe you're getting victory and actually surrendering to the Lord. Maybe you're a one-year Bible student and you've been uh, really pressed about coming back for the next year. And man, the subject of surrender keeps coming up and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. Up and you're right on the precipice of giving your life all to Jesus Christ, but something is holding you back. There are giants in the land. There are things that you just, intellectually, you can't comprehend. You can't get a grasp on. But God, if I surrender to you, but God, if I give this up, but God, if I relinquish all to you, what's really going to happen? What's my family life going to be like? What's my financial life going to be like? What is my uh, outcome going to be like? What is my marriage going to be like? And you're sitting there, and you're right on the border of victory in your life, and yet there are giants in the land, and you're staring them down, and you're wondering how to take the next step. And let me tell you something, my friends, today there are four reasons why these spies and that generation in Israel never saw victory. They never saw the land. Number one, I want to convey to you one of the reasons why they never saw victory is they forsook the plan of God. They forsook the plan of God. Verse number 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people. My friends, long before this point, God had communicated his plan. He would communicated this plan openly with his people. They weren't ignorant of his intentions. They were ignorant of his power to provide the resources necessary to fulfill the plan of God to bring them into the land of rest. When we look at even the book of Exodus, it's a long list of God's resume of what he did for his people. When you look at chapter number 7 of the book of Exodus, God's deliverance, we see even through the chapter uh, 7 through 12, through the 10 plagues that he sent to Egypt. When we look at Exodus 14, we see the opening of the Red Sea and the people walked across on dry land. And just as miraculous, God waited until all those Egyptians were in the midst of that Red Sea and he closed the water right on them. 
It's interesting as we look at Exodus 13 and 14, we find that God led his people by a cloud and by a pillar of fire. We find in Exodus 15 that the bitter waters of Marah were turned sweet. We find manna given from heaven in Exodus chapter number 16. And in chapter number 16 as well, we find the quail for meat. The water flows from the rock in Exodus 17. And we can go on and on and on about how God had provided for his people. How God had provided the resources necessary for his plan. And when we consider the plan of God for your life, God has provided all the resources you need and the grace that flows from Jesus Christ and the grace that flows straight from Calvary. And I've got to tell you, my friends, sometimes we look at our reality and what's happening here, but we don't see what God really wants to do. And we forget about the plan of God and we forsake the plan of God because we see giants in the land. We see things in our flesh that we cannot overcome. But God's plan wasn't for the people to overcome. God's plan was for him to provide the land to them. When we look at Exodus chapter number 6, the Bible says from God's perspective, and I will bring you into the land. Exodus 13 verse number 5, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. Exodus 13, 11, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. Uh, Exodus 33, 1, it's interesting. God gives us promise, unto thy seed will I give it. That's talking about the land. It was God's plan for him to give it to his people. I want you to think about even the, 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 the interesting, amazing story about the battle of Jericho. His people really had to do nothing. Realistically, they just had to obey, obey, walk around the walls a bunch of times, and then blow trumpets. It's amazing. And God gave the victory. It was his plan all along for him to be the one to give the victory and to give the land to the people. But the men said, we aren't able to overcome it. And they forsook the very plan of God to bring them into the land of victory the land of rest. I believe they forsook the plan of God because they forgot the promises of God. Number two, they forgot the promises of God. Verse 31 of this chapter, but the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. The children of Israel here abandoned God's plan because they misplaced the very covenant that God had made with them. Leviticus 26 gives us kind of a recap of that covenant. Verse number 6 says, And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land, and neither shall the sword go through your land, and ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect unto you and I will make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you and ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new and I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and will be your God and you my people I am the Lord your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their bondmen 
and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. My friends, I realize that this is a covenant promise between God and his people, but I want to assure you that God has made promises to us as well, promises of victory through his son, Jesus Christ, through the covenant that was given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting as I think about the promises that we have, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us in Romans several, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In verse number 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. In 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But how many times do we forsake God's plan because we forget about these precious promises? How many times do we forsake what God really has for us because we forget that God has promised us to be conquerors, that he's promised us the victory. But at times there are moments in our life where the flesh looks so much more appealing, but my friends, the flesh can never pay out the victory that Christ has given so freely. They forsook the plan of God. Because I believe they forgot the promises of God. Verse number 33, more shocking to me than that picture on the one yard line. More shocking to me than any other sports statistic could tell. Verse 33 is a shocking, shocking verse in the Bible to me. And I want you to read it carefully. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. My friend, they forsook the plan of God because they forgot the promises of God. But the third reason why I believe they never saw the land, they never saw victory, was because they had a flawed perception. They had a flawed perception. I told you I love sports. I grew up playing sports. Uh, I have two siblings. My sister is about four or five years removed from me, and I've got a brother who is about seven years removed from me. And I can tell you, you know, if you're the oldest child, sometimes you're the beta in the family. You know, mom and dad try, and of course, you know, you're, you're the beta. You come out, and hey, you've got some gifts, and you're, you're all right. And, uh, you know, I got, I got, Facial hair, that's about all I got out of the family, okay? No talent, no skill, it's just facial hair. My sister's uh, very intelligent. She uh, works as an administrator in a Christian school in Texas. And my brother is just skilled in almost every single area of sports. Man, if I could just have some of the skill that he has in sports, I love it. You know, as I was growing up, and, and I always wanted a little brother, and when he came along... You know, of course, uh, I noticed right away that he was going to have some uh, athletic abilities. And uh, sometimes I tried to kind of put him in, a, in his place, even as a four-year-old in basketball, just dunking on him, you know, just uh, letting him have it, you know. Uh, but my brother very quickly became better at me than sports, even at an early age. And uh, one year, I remember uh, I was teaching my brother how to play hockey. 
That was one of my true passions as a teenager was playing hockey. I really enjoyed it. And we had a roller hockey league in the township that I grew up in. And I believe my brother was about seven and I was 14. And so I taught him how to skate. I taught him how to shoot. I taught him how to do all these things. And I prepped him because he was like, you know, a little bit interested in hockey. And I prepped him for all these things. And man, the day came where he finally said, Mom, I think I want to play for the rec team in town. And so I was excited as an older brother, you know, just being able to see my little brother play hockey and kind of do all those things. And so my mom said, okay. And we took him to, does anyone know what played against sports is? Okay, played against sports where they sell not just you stuff, or I'm sorry, new stuff. They also sell you stuff as well. And so there, played against sports. We were trying to get him all set up with hockey pads. And if you don't know, hockey stuff's expensive. It's it's really expensive. And so we've got him set up with, uh, you know, with a helmet and with shin guards and with shoulder pads. And he got the gloves. And I think he was all set to go. And, of course, my mom's checking out. And it's right around 300 I think it was $385, the total cost. It was unbelievable. It was pretty expensive. So we got him all set up. And he got placed on a team. And we got the schedule. And I'm excited for him. And he seems to be excited as well. And we're driving over to that roller hockey rink and we're getting ready to get out. And, and man, I'm, I'm getting my brother ready in the car, just getting all his pads and equipment on. And we get there and my brother takes one look at the rink. A rink which, by the way, we, we had played on before. Uh, we'd gone to, we had done some, you know, just brotherly practices over and th- things of that nature. He takes one look at the rink. He gets one look at all the other players. And he just starts bawling. I mean, I don't want to do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there like, John, John, it's, it's okay, man. Like, you got this. We, we practice. We prepped. I've said, I don't want to. And he's like crying the whole time. And it's interesting as uh, my mom was there, as any compassionate, wonderful mother would do, she said, you're going to go on that rink, son. I just paid $385 for you. So, you know, so literally I'm carrying him as he's like, ah, you know, crying. And I place him on the rank. And he's like skating the whole time on the rank, actually playing. But the whole time we look at him and the tears are literally flowing down his face. The whole practice. He was scared because what he saw. He was ready. He was athletic. He was probably the best skater out there. We had prepped him. We had gotten him ready. I had told him all of what to expect. And yet when he saw the rink, he saw the other players, he got scared. He didn't want to move forward. God had prepped the nation of Israel. He had told them what to expect. He prepared them and told them that their power uh, was directly from him and that he would conquer the enemies before them. And it's interesting as we look at this passage, they have this flawed perspective that says, hey, we we saw the, the giants in the land and we saw the sons of Anak there and we were as grasshoppers in their sight and literally almost putting thoughts in the heads of the people that they didn't even know. By the way, When you read Joshua chapter number 2, you're encountered with the story of Rahab. And one interesting thing that Rahab tells the spies that come in after the 40 years, she tells the spies that they're terrified of the nation of Israel. 
They know exactly what they're coming to do, and they're terrified. The spies had a flawed perspective. You know, it's sometimes interesting as I look out at all that's happening in 2023, 2024, and beyond. We were just talking in the break room about some of the political madness of the last several years. I know that it's scary to look into the future and to think, God, I have no idea how you're going to accomplish your plan. But God's already gone before you. And by the way, we know the end of the story. Jesus wins. Jesus is victorious. We already have the promises that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And so when we look out and we see all the things that scare us, the financial crisis that surrounds us, maybe even the the political madness that uh, uh, evades our culture every single day. It's interesting as I even think about my kids and the society that they'll live in in about 20 years. Man, i got to tell you, it's not a fun thing to think about. It's not a thing that doesn't give me anxiety and make me stay up at night. And i got to tell you, it's a scary thought. And I'm with you. I understand it. But when we start taking our worries and fears and place them on the reality around us, it controls the actions that we commit to every single day. My friend, God does not want you to live in a state of worry. My friend, God does not want you to live in a state of fear. God wants you to have victory on a daily basis. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're trying to accomplish things in your own might and your own power, yeah, you're going to look like grasshoppers a lot. You're going to respond like grasshoppers. But when you see things through the eyes of Jesus Christ... You'll come out like the Apostle Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. I live in and through him, but to die is gain. I don't fear what man can do unto me, the writer of Hebrews says, because I know the Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The spies never saw the land because they had a flawed perspective. And then finally today, I want you to see they never saw the land because number four, they failed to be pliable. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number three. Hebrews chapter number three is an astonishing warning to the listener, to the reader. As we come to Hebrews chapter number three, the writer warns as so does the psalmist who wrote Psalm 95, warns the listener and the reader of what happened in the day of provocation, that day in the wilderness, that day when they decided to trust in their own might, that day that they decided to trust in their own plan, that day that they forsook the promises and the plan of God. And he says today, if you hear his voice, verse number eight, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. 
Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. God is simply looking for pliable Christians who won't harden their heart in the midst of difficulty, who won't harden their heart in the time where God calls for surrender, who won't harden their heart when God asks for you to give up that, that sin that does uh, so hinder you from the race that God has called you to, who won't harden their heart when God says, I want you to go here as a missionary. I want you to do this for me in the long term. Who won't harden their heart and say, God, I don't see the likely outcome of that so I'm going to forsake your plan I'm going to forsake your promises and I'm going to do it my way and literally just like a ply board you stiffen up and God can't use someone who's hardened harden not your heart in the day of provocation my friend they never saw the land because they failed to be pliable they hardened their hearts they saw only what they wanted to see. They forsook God's plan and his promises. Guys, I'm, I'm astonished when I read that chapter of Scripture. I'm convicted. Because of how many times in my own life I've said, no, God, I, I think I've got a better way. No, God, I... I don't think I'm going to do it that way. No, God, I won't surrender to that. No, God, please don't ask me for that. Please don't ask me to give that up. God, please don't ask me. But God is calling for total surrender. For total commitment. He's calling for servants that are pliable, that are moldable, that are surrendered. My friends, this, this is an outstanding story of people who were so close, so close, and yet so far away. And by the way, the consequences didn't only lie with this generation. The consequences were with the generation that was to come that was under 20 years old. Because they had to wait another 40 years. And we don't think about that often. Anyone under 20 had to wait another 40 years before they'd have the opportunity to come into the land that God had already promised to them. My friend, don't let it be said of your life that they were so close, but they couldn't give up that sin. They were so close they just wouldn't surrender. They're so close, but they live their life in complete worry and fear of what would happen next if they just gave themselves to God's plan. Don't come so close and miss out on what God has planned for you.